Aloha, Own the Truth listeners. This is Erica Duran, and you're about to hear my origin story. Mahalo. Joining me today is Erica Duran. Erica is a freedom business model mentor, a luxury lifestyle designer, digital marketing expert, and minimalist. She gives expert guidance, support, and accountability to service-based entrepreneurs so that they can build a business doing what they love and work from anywhere, earning a consistent five to $20,000 per month. She founded googlebait.com and leadbait.co to help her clients outsource some of the hustle to Google. She's a digital nomad that travels full-time staying in Airbnbs and resorts that sponsor her podcast and videos. Erica, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm glad we could do the video too. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Uh, like I said, this is my first time using Zoom, so um, so far so good. Um, <laughs> if you can just break down that intro, because that's quite the lengthy intro. Sorry. <laughs> um, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. I like it. Uh, it gives me a lot to work with. So I guess just start with Freedom Business Model Mentor. Like, what is that and what does it mean to you? Yeah, so I help people start uh, businesses that they can do most of their marketing online. So they don't have to run around to networking groups or pay for advertising and things like that. Um, And I also help people that perhaps think they're stuck in like a brick and mortar business and take them online as well so that they can work from anywhere, anytime, basically. So uh, setting up their websites and things like that, uh, setting up their marketing plans, uh, setting up their models. So a lot of people will kind of, when they create their business, give themselves a job instead of creating a business model that gives them a ton of free time uh, to to do what they really wanted to do. (laughs) Yeah. I, I actually uh, mentor a lot of uh, small business owners and founders, and I, I come across that very often. Um, they view themselves more as an employee and not an actual CEO or founder. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is a very common trap. So that, that's, that's good that you're helping them with that. Yeah, they'll just load up their day with all this busy work for no reason. Yeah. It's crazy because yeah. they're just stuck in that eight out, they feel like they have to work eight hours a day to be worth something, I guess. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, luxury lifestyle designer. Yeah. <laughs> so that came along with, uh, I always wanted, I'm a minimalist, but yet I like high quality things and nice things. Mm-hmm. And I think that part started when uh, I was little and my mom was a travel agent, used to take me to beautiful hotels all the time with her. Right. So I, we weren't wealthy when I was kids, but I got to kind of live a somewhat quasi wealthy lifestyle anyway. Yeah. And so I like to add minimalist luxuries into my client's lifestyle so that, you know, they're, they're valuing what they have. I used to be a professional organizer, by the way. So that's kind of came from that too. Um, Really, really high quality things. And a lot of the luxuries when we, um, when I get a new client and we're doing like ideal day exercises and stuff to figure out what they really want out of their lifestyle, a lot of those luxurious things aren't 
thinks it costs money. So they, they wish they could wake up and meditate and journal and listen to great music and take a walk in nature. Well, none of that costs <laughs> any money, but they're not doing it. And they're yeah. always thinking money's holding me back from my ideal luxury lifestyle. And I'm like, I don't think so. Cause everything you listed on here is free. So, yeah. <laughs> so kind of just uncovering what they really want out of their lifestyle and then designing it. Uh, so they have little luxuries every day. Right. Okay. That sounds cool. Um, so you started talking about uh, growing up with your mom briefly. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of ties into what I want to get to here. Um, you know, I gave you quite the intro, but what I'm interested in more is sort of your origin story. Um, how you came to be, you know, this person with this huge intro, right? Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, if you're, if you're into comic books or like superheroes or whatnot, uh, there's always, you know, issue number one, right? So if Erica Duran had an issue number one of her comic book, what would her origin story look like? Um, my literal story? Yeah. Um, like, like if, you, if, you, if you want some help, you know, like mine personally, I was raised by a single mom. Um, in Mississauga, Ontario, that's in Canada. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was tough for us, but, um, my mom did everything that she could, um, to make sure that I had the same life as other kids at school. Mm-hmm. Um, she instilled a lot of good values in me, um, taught me gratitude and, uh, empathy very early on. Um, also made me very sensitive, you know, just like living with, your mom and only your mom uh, having her kind of act as both parents uh, for the first 12 years of your life. uh, It definitely makes you a sensitive person. Um, So I attribute a lot of who I am to that upbringing. Okay. Um, Okay. Yeah. And that kind of springboarded me into what I do today. Um, Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. I got an idea now. (laughs) Yeah. I, I grew up uh, with both parents in Mm. uh, California. Um, I was the only child and basically middle to upper middle class. My dad was a uh, director of probation. So he's in law enforcement Mm -hmm. and he's also a, uh, a hunter and fisherman and sportsman and a big game hunter. So he was always writing articles for Safari magazine and, um, outdoor life and all these uh, publications. So he did a lot. And then my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she would often take part of agency jobs just to get the free travel, um, basically. And so that was a little bit um, different uh, upbringing because my my parents, we wouldn't always go on family vacations together, maybe once a year or twice a year we would, but my mom would take me on as the companion on her trips, her travel agent trips, and my dad would go on safaris and hunting trips. So our, we wouldn't always uh, travel as a family. So as an only child, so I was always uh, surrounded by lots of animals. Uh, I had like 20 rabbits at one time and um, always dogs. So that's why yeah. dogs are even all over my business coaching website. Right. <laughs> I still I have my dogs it. on there. Um, and, uh, I used to, uh, make lots of little businesses as a kid, not like lemonade stands, but I had like mm-hmm. a green 
playing card company <laughs> as a little kid. Wow, okay. Yeah, so trying to... How trying old were you when you started that? Like eight, nine, eight, nine years eight old. Nine. Yeah. Wow, so you, I, you, you started entrepreneurially very early on. Right, and whenever I wanted something, of course, I would get gifts for Christmas and birthdays and stuff like that, but if I wanted something, I would ask around if I could pull weeds or wash cars or walk right. dogs. So I was always doing that because I, I didn't want to settle for what was given to me at, at holidays. I wanted yeah. what I wanted when I wanted it. So, Interesting. Um, so, so I would yeah. do that. <laughs> I would also sell, um, this became a big part later too. I would sell my old toys uh, and mm-hmm. electronics and things to get the new version. Yeah. So when I started being a professional organizer, one way to get people to release their things was I would take their stuff in consignment, sell it for them and give mm-hmm. them the money back. And the money was supposed to go to fund some dreams. So it was supposed to go to writing your book or getting out of your job or starting a business or whatever your dream was going on right. that one big safari trip or something. And, um, so, so me selling my toys to get new toys as a kid, uh, kind of ended up in my career as well. Um, I find that so interesting, Erica, because you like, you can really go most of the time you just go one way with that kind of upbringing. Um, like you, you know, from what it sounds like your parents parented you very well. And that resulted in, you know, instead of having this like great upbringing, this great lifestyle, um, you know, whenever you wanted the new toy, you didn't whine about it or complain. <laughs> you like sold your old toys to get the new one. Yeah. <laughs> that is just such a different kind of mindset to me. And uh, you, I mean, you often don't really hear about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, um, I mean, I guess pe- other people would say I was spoiled um, because mm-hmm. I would, we would go to Disneyland almost every weekend because right. I, my mom didn't know what to do with me because I was the only child. So we, yeah. we would just have an annual pass to Disneyland. We would go every weekend. Then I ended up working there for five years when I was in high school and college. So um, I did go the normal route of a like an upper middle class girl in California. I did go to college. I did mm-hmm. um, work in corporate for about 15 years at uh, hotel chains, um, right. Marriott and uh, all those hotel chains. I was a, a sales executive when I left. So, um, yeah, I, that probably stemmed from my mom taking me on trips too, was right. uh, getting into the hotel industry and theme parks and things like that. Yeah. So, um, you, you had a really early, uh, I guess, uh, dabble into entrepreneurship. Um, from, from that point, like where, you know, you, you had the greeting card business, right? Yeah. What was the next thing? Like, did you not have another uh, venture for for a while? Because I know uh, you said you worked 15 years in corporate. Mm -hmm. So was that... And I was always moonlighting in corporate too with some kind of... Right. Something. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, So going to what you do now, um, founding googlebait.com, um, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, that's a story in itself. Um, 
when I had the professional organizing business and we were consigning people's clutter to fund their dreams, we had a online store because we didn't want to go through eBay. Um, So we had our own online store called clutterbugstore.com. I think it's .com. And uh, my SEO uh, expert business partner knew that in order for us to survive as a online consignment store, we had to beat eBay at its own game. Mm-hmm. And so he figured out, um, it took him about three months, but he figured out how to be over the search rank ranking, um, the search rank for an item. If it, if it had the same exact item on eBay. So we right. had this really elaborate Cinderella sculpture that one of my clients wanted to sell and mm. we were able to get our listing over eBay. And then, so they kind of didn't go anywhere. And then I sold the, the clutter business and everything. And for eight years, it kind of just stayed on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And then when I was a business coach about four years in five years in, it was just this weird season where I would get these clients who would set up everything and then not do the actual hustle. Like they'd set up their website and their packages and everything, but they wouldn't do what it took to get a client. Right. So then, um, they lacked the sales background. Not, not even that. I I think it was fear. Obviously Mm. it was fear that they wouldn't Mm. just get out and, network or get out on Facebook groups and hustle or do a webinar or do something to be seen Mm -hmm. on the internet. And so we were, we, my business partner and I were sitting around and we're like, well, wait a minute. What about, what about just using the power of Google and doing what we did to be eBay at our consignment store and building them SEO perfect pages to leap over their competition. And we're thinking, you know, people, there's tons of coaches on Facebook with their Facebook ads and everything, but and people don't go to endless. Things. Yeah. People don't go to Facebook to buy a business coaching. They go there to goof off and check in with their friends. They don't go there to buy something. When someone's serious about finding a business coach or a wedding planner mm-hmm. or someone like that, they go to Google. Most likely they, yeah. they probably even say business coach near me or something like that. So, um, just taking, I wanted my clients to be successful and they wouldn't get off their (laughs) butts and hustle. So we were like, okay, let's just do this and um, give them a tool where they can hustle through Google, where they just build the page once and Google kind of brings them some leads. Uh, So that we opened that last February. So it's a year now. And that was um, doing SEO.com. Googlebait.com. And that was doing SEO a different way, pretty much by hand. We're doing everything, all the code by hand. And then six months in, we're like, this is way too much work. Let's build a app um, for it instead. So that's what Leadbait is. It's, it's, um, it's powered see, yeah. by Google Bait, but it's, um, it's an app that they can log in and build their pages themselves now. So we don't have to code them ourselves. Interesting. Okay. Um, with some of the, uh, with some of the clients you speak to, um, this, this fear that you're talking about, cause I, I see it all the time with, uh, with founders and small business owners that I mentor. Do you find that the fear comes from, uh, their, I guess maybe their, their inability to contextualize time 
or uh, their fear of being judged by others. Because uh, I, I find that most people worry about worry too much about what other people think of them, and yes. that and that is that big wall in front of them, or that's the person kind of like holding them by the collar as they're about to take that leap. You know, right. Um, right. is that is that what you see as well? It's fear running the gamut on all levels. It's yeah. it's procrastination is not it's not that people are lazy. They'll spend 10 months trying to perfect their website, but they won't get on the phone and call a lead. I know um, a ton of lazy people actually, yeah. <laughs> all ages, That's true. not just millennials. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of the, a lot of my clients are just are workaholics, but they're working on the wrong thing. And it's all fear. Right. Their fear of looking stupid, their fear of their old high end corporate people, seeing them online, hustling themselves, their fear yeah. of, I even went through this too, a little bit with, cause I used to sell like, uh, thousand uh, dollar timeshares, Marriott timeshares, uh, two hundred thousand dollars, you know, sale. And um, you know, I was like, whatever, it's not my money. And then when I go to when I was a new online entrepreneur and gonna go sell a two dollar ebook, I was freaking out. So it was that it's that fear because it's your own thing now. It's not a yeah. it's not a Marriott timeshare. It's not a cupcake. It's your it's your own your own thing. So I see it a lot more with coaches rather than mm. people with products. Um, a lot of it's with coaches, wedding planners, professional organizers, um, the service-based entrepreneurs ha mm -hmm. seem to have a bigger uh, fear holding them back than people that create some sort of product um, okay. from what I've seen. But yeah, it's uh, taking that out of their hands was, was really good for, especially all the introverted uh, entrepreneurs as well that didn't, or mm -hmm. people that didn't want to spend time six hours, uh, you know, networking in LinkedIn or Facebook groups. Yeah. It, like just in my experience of what I see with, with a lot of entrepreneurs I work with, there's no, there's no shortcut to it really. Like you, like you have to put in the work at some point. Uh, mm. No one's going to take, you know, hold your hand through, through, through most of it. I mean, most entrepreneurs I know don't have the money to have someone hold their hand through the whole process. Right. Um, and they'll just spin and play with their logo and play with their yeah, fonts and yeah. play with their business cards and like pretend to be in business. Like maybe mm -hmm. what I was doing when I was seven, <laughs> it was, you know, yeah. pretending to have a business, yeah. Yeah. but they don't really, I'm like, you don't have a business until you have a client. So get a client first. And then when you have a client, then outsource all this other busy work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. All of those things, like the business card, the logo, like th those are just such small details. Like I, I just think they don't matter. They don't um, matter. I just threw out coach. all my business cards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, especially when you're first starting, I think, uh, I think just kind of pushing off those small details and just focusing on the sales is is um, it's really the small deal details that trips up a lot of. Uh, entrepreneurs who are just starting out for the first time. Mm -hmm. um, like I remember, I remember when I was 12, I had this idea um, to create an app for, cause I, I have a martial arts background as well. And I wanted to create an app for dojos. And oh, cool. I, yeah, I had like a ton of like ideas as to how I would execute it. Um, but I was too concerned with, you know, the, the name of the business like how the logo would look and all that stuff. Um, and 
the more that you, you know, I think, I think us as humans, like we complicate very simple issues, mm-hmm. um, you know, to start a business or not to start a business. Right. And then you kind of open up that, uh, that, that can, and it's like, you know, logo design, uh, you know, what's my vision, what's this and that. Right. There's, there, there seems to be a lot of, uh, other issues that, I guess, prevent people from actually like going ahead and starting their own Mm -hmm. thing. Um, But it's just, I don't know, to me, it's just, it's so black and white. Like if I'm not doing something, I'm not doing it. It's not, it's not, oh, well, uh, you know, there's, there's this and, you know, uh, President Trump said this the other day. So it kind of brought me down and like, now I don't want to do it. Um, Yeah, I think, I think, I think it's like an accountability game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's hard to play accountability boss with yourself. So, so hard, <laughs> so hard. And it's uh, hard when there's so much mixed information out there because, you know, there's a thousand podcasts and there's thousands of, of uh, free, free things you can download and, mm-hmm. and uh, they, they get really all spun up in a, in a tornado of information yeah. uh, and then they don't know what to do first. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know what, this is the big problem because there's, there's so many, uh, there's so many people on social media who, you know, you, you have entrepreneur in your bio and, uh, I have a lot of mentees who, you know, they'll, they'll listen to like, you know, Tony Robbins or like, I don't know, some, some, some other, you know, prominent voices out there in the industry. And, they're being flooded with all these voices and they're not paying attention to their own. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I I just, I I just tell them, okay, like stop, stop listening to those podcasts. Like just like pay attention to in here, like, you know, travel inward and figure out what you want. Like what do you want? Like what do you want to do? Right. I, I just, I think there's too many people who will tell you what to do and how to do it. Right, right. right. It's all Uh, those internet marketing rules. And uh, I could spot a client a mile away when they're on their phone session and they're like, oh, so-and-so said this and -and so-and-so said this and -and so-and-so said this. I go, oh, I can see why you didn't do anything this week because you're too busy listening to John Lee Dumas and everyone. So yeah, you could spot them a mile away or they have kind of a plan and then they start going down that rabbit hole of all the other people's content. And then their content looks like and sounds like the other person because they've they've listened to them so hard yeah. that their con they just sound like a cookie cutter after that. Yeah, yeah. Uh a good friend of mine uh, who runs a, uh, a fitness company out in Brampton, um, he, he once said it to me like really nicely, just like a few words, he said, stop trying to be someone else like you're already interesting. Right. <laughs> uh, and like I, like I see it with so many people like just trying to emulate others. Right. And uh, like this is why I think like mental health is like such a – such an unexplored um, area or like territory. Um, we we think we have a, like a handle, a grip on it, but it's like it's so much more complicated than it than we think it is. And I think social media brings it to like a whole nother level. Right. Um, 
like there's so many hashtags out there, endless hashtags, hashtag hustle, hashtag made it, all that stuff. Uh, even hashtag entrepreneur, like you can find, you know, the guy standing in front of the Lambo, um, you know, and people who don't necessarily have the, enough self-awareness to know that, okay, the Lambo doesn't make me happy. Uh, but I'm looking at this guy who's standing in front of it and, you know, he's got the girls, he's got the money, you know, he's got the bling bling. He looks like he's having a great time. Right. Right. And, right. you know, then you start emulating that. And I, I've seen countless people at conferences uh, wear suits that they can't afford, like, or, you know, they, they're trying to act the part. They're trying to fake it until they make it. And mm-hmm. I just think it's so dangerous. Right. Uh, yeah. In the in the female entrepreneur space, about probably two years ago, it just became this incredible parody of itself or a joke, because every single person had professional pictures in front of the Eiffel Tower, and it was like a joke. It's like yeah. it, it, and then so, and it was to such a point where new coaches were teaching other people and this is what they were teaching them go get a really expensive photo shoot and then put it all over social media and then this is how you close someone on the phone so they were only teaching uh photo shoot 101 and how to close someone on the phone 101 but they had no skill or business i mean they weren't they weren't web designers or wedding planners or they didn't have any skill. They're just mm-hmm. teaching people how to take pictures and then be seen and then close people on the phone. And they were making yeah. like $50,000 a month doing that. And it, it, it all became like this cookie cutter thing. It was, it was mm-hmm. like ridiculous. It was like a house of cards. It was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that reminds me of um, just the, the startup landscape these these days it's very you know it's 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 focused on seed funding and getting that next level funding you know uh as opposed to focusing on just running your business Mm -hmm. like like i i actually had uh four startups the other night um because there's there's this huge uh, competition going on right now um and so three of them got to the next level but one of them didn't and so you know you have you have one company going oh yeah we secured a million dollars next group we secured 500 next group we secured uh 750 and fourth group comes in and they're like we didn't secure anything but you know like just by doing this and like um you know using ryerson university and uh, the digital media zones Uh, I guess, audience, you know, we were able to garner some attention and like, we have a few clients now, but you know, we're just trying to, you know, figure ourselves out. No one paid attention to them. And it, it, it just, it, it it angered me. Like it angered me to watch that because I was like, Uh you literally have three companies doing nothing. And then this other company who's actually building a business Mm -hmm. and like no one cared about them. Right. Right. Yeah. So sometimes the best coaches, you can't, they're not on social media or anything. Mm -hmm. They're working with clients. Yeah. (laughs) What do you, like in your, I guess, client services business, like what do you see? Because you talked earlier about, um, you know, 
I guess this fear that some of the um, like older entrepreneurs have, I guess, with, with changing the way that they do things. Right. Um, I find that a lot of um, entrepreneurs or just business owners in, in the older generations, uh, they have this mentality that, you know, my customer isn't on Facebook or, you know, Facebook isn't really uh, doing much for me or like, why do I need Google ads? Uh, like, you know, my, like, like email marketing is just, is doing just fine for me. Um, like, how do you, how do you approach that type of mentality? Yeah. Well, I have one client that does direct mail still like snail yeah. mail. <laughs> so if and it's that's working fine. for them, yeah, if it's yeah. working for them, that's fine. Um, I, I, tend to run into the other way where people are trying to be on everything and they're not mm. doing anything well. That's what right. I tend to run into more. Yeah. Um, there is that older generation that kind of runs their business like a 1980s cor corporate big glass building kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones that are all caught up in their oh, I got to rent off. If I start a business, I have to rent office space and I need to hire people and I need uh, a, a big copy machine and stuff like that. I was like, you don't need any of that <laughs> these days. You don't need yeah. any, you don't need chairs. You don't need a coffee machine. In there. Like you don't even need the office space in most yeah. cases. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm currently running a business out of my bedroom. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need anything. Yeah. Yeah. You don't yeah. need anything. I, I, I can do most things now on my phone. I don't even need a exactly. laptop a lot of the times. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And I do see the, the older generation being deathly afraid of video. Uh, and mm -hmm. then, and that's the new medium. Like if people are going to know, like, and trust you, you pretty much, and you don't want to be in person networking, you pretty much have to be on video. Like there's no, yeah. If you're not yeah. going to do video, there's no point now, really. Like you don't have to do Facebook Live and YouTube and Instagram mm -hmm. stories. You can pick one, but um, mm -hmm. I think it's pretty much an, a non-negotiable at this point. Yeah, it, like I, I completely agree. Like I think video has just, um, you know, since television, it's just, it's, it's, it's been the easiest way. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you're good, you know, if you can get up in front of uh, in front of a camera and just talk and just you know be uh, uh, be charismatic and all that stuff, super rare. And you know if you're good at it, you'll like you've got it. You'll you'll do just fine. But there's like there, there's other there's other mediums too. Um, you know, voice um, and writing. Like if you if if you get scared to death being in front of a camera, uh, but you're really good at writing that's one way that you can kind of sneak in there. Right. Uh, same thing with podcasting. Like I, I um, for a long time, like I, I, I couldn't stand like looking, looking at pictures of myself or like even just seeing a video of myself, uh -huh. even my own voice. Like I couldn't stand my own voice until I started to podcast. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it, it was kind of something that I just kind of did uh, mm -hmm. kind of on a whim. Um, and I don't know. I guess I'm a lot more fairer these days with my own voice and uh, kind of how, how, how I look on video. Um, and it's what I tell uh, people all the time. Like, you know, you don't, you don't have to be the next YouTube star, um, but you can go on LinkedIn and medium and start writing articles. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's very, it's so easy. Mm -hmm. 
correct. Yeah. I had this, I, I obviously have a unique voice and I had the same mm-hmm. hangups about my podcasts when I started them. And I just got to a point where I was sick of myself and my own excuses. And I did 13 episodes in one day. And once you do yeah. that, you're like, so over it. Oh yeah. Because, cause I wasn't, I, I was, I'm, been told like I am a good writer. So in my first episodes, I wrote out every single word and just read it. So there's always a way. And then the first videos, I was obviously fearful as well. And I wrote, literally wrote them out and had a teleprompter. Yeah. Because I would just go blank. What's the name of your podcast? Um, it's the Erica Duran Show. Uh, we have an archive, uh, an archive one and a new one coming out. So okay, we archive awesome. the old one and then we have the new one coming are, out. Are you, are you everywhere? Like Stitcher, are you distributed mm-hmm. everywhere? On 12, yeah, on 12 awesome. platforms through um, Anchor FM. Yeah. It distributes uh, to 12 platforms on your behalf. And then we have some uh, apps running in the background that shoot it out to YouTube and other places. Great. Yeah. Um, nice. And then we had a Google Bait podcast for a little while. And then um, after a year... We pulled it. We're just doing much more sales from a, the original webinar that we did. Mm-hmm. That replay is selling a lot more than us spending time on the podcast. So we shut that down. Um, right. Just always looking at what's working and ditching things that are a waste of time. Yeah. Now, you mentioned waste of time. And I think uh, this kind of echoes back to what I said earlier about people haven't contextualized how much time they have. Um, like I hear that a lot too, where it's like, you know, they, they maybe try YouTube for like three months and no one's paying attention to them. And they're just like, this is a waste of time. Like, I don't know what I'm doing or they start their Instagram account, uh, for, you know, they love, uh, they love teenage mutant Ninja turtles and Mm -hmm. they want to be the, the, uh, modern day expert on TMNT. So they start their Instagram account and no one, no one cares. And five months later, they just take it down. Right. So I guess my question to you is like, at what, like, do you, so entrepreneurs have their own kind of uh, mindset, right? It, It takes a very special kind of mind to be an entrepreneur, I think. And you rely heavily on your intuition. Am I right? Yes. <laughs> so um, when you say that something is a waste of time, like, do you mean that, you know, uh, you tried something for a bit and then, you know, it just didn't feel right. So you just pulled it or, you know, do you, do you, do you, do you pander to the data that's in front of you? Like, how do you go about it? It was, it's funny you asked that because it really was this big rush of intuition mm-hmm. and, and the podcast was down within an hour. It was this huge rush of intuition. Um, And then because I didn't want to look like um, I was just giving up Mm because we have that too. We don't want to look like we're giving up. I backed it up with the data. My intuition is overwhelming and the webinar is doing all the sales. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was, (laughs) I had to still like have that, I guess, uh, permission from the data. Right. Uh, even though, but the podcast was fun. It was getting about 700 listens per episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had, my partner had other reasons too. He, he's like, well, I don't want to teach people 
this. I want them to hire us and we do it for them. So right. it was that too. We're at a loss of content because, well, we don't want to say that. We don't want to give away all of our secret sauce kind of thing too. So that's what, that was his position on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm so, I'm so focused on giving away the secret sauce right now. So this is, this is something that I think a lot of, um, you know, you don't have to give away like your, you know, like your, literally your keys to success, but I really feel like there is, um, there's still a fear of kind of being transparent and, um, you know, you mentioned the free eBooks before, um, I see like a ton of eBooks that are not free and most of the content is just stuff you can Google anyways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, um, I really think that giving value upfront, uh, for free is really the way to go. Maybe not so now, but I think that's where things are heading to. Um, I think, you know, I think platforms like, like podcasting, um, you know, medium, uh, YouTube, that free content right off the bat is going to be the gateway to then, you know, Googling Erica Duran and, oh, what's she about? You know, um, she's given me so much value over two years for free that, you know what, like, I've got this new business, like, let me hire her and her company. Right. right? My first podcast was extremely how to, how to do this, how to get clients from LinkedIn, how to yeah. save time doing this, how to, what apps am I using? Like it was so how to, and mm -hmm. then the second one is, it's going to be, I guess I don't I know the word for it, a little bit more philosophical or, or mindset, I guess. Um, right, right. Or, and more fall. They really liked it when I would do follow me in a day kind of mm -hmm. podcast and all, not so much how they didn't want things they could just Google, like you said. Right. They right. wanted so, oh, so you what would basically do a vlog and then yeah. rip the rip the audio from it. Right. Type right. Of thing, they, right. They yeah. would rather what's your morning routine? How did you yeah. do this? Um yeah. kind of kind of how did how what's the story behind Google Bait? Where did this mm -hmm. come from? Rather yeah. than oh to SEO one oh one is you find your keywords. Like that's a you know, it's not an exciting podcast. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No, it's not. So, unless, unless people are literally asking for that yeah. in your comments, I think like, you shouldn't, uh, you know, lead with that. Right. <laughs> um, like, uh, like I, I was actually thinking, you know, um, even, even with you, with your businesses, like not a lot of people have footage of like people like Jeff Bezos when he was, you know, in that small office uh, mailing out books when mm -hmm. Amazon first started, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like if, you know, starting something from scratch and then having the documentation throughout the whole journey, I think is like so unique and so special. Like mm -hmm. I haven't seen it out there yet. Right. And, uh, like I, I've been, I've been kind of contemplating and pontificating in my own head. Um, if I should just hire like a full-time videographer to just literally <laughs> film me 24 seven, yeah, yeah. Not 24 seven, but like just, you know, when I'm out and about. Yeah. Um, Cause I think, uh, you know, even like, even just for like your grandkids or something to like watch it later and go like, Oh, that's what like, 
you know, grandma Erica meant by, you know, like, you just, you just gotta like, you know, be patient and whatever. And, you know, that's what she meant. Like that, that's how she made it when she was my age. Wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's like, there's a ton of ways to do it these days. Um, you were saying earlier that, um, you find that your clients are trying to be everywhere, but they're not doing it well. Right. Um, so that's a bit of a two-pronged issue, I, I feel. I think, like, I think you don't have to be first on a platform. You just have to be the best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but contrastly, I think that actually being everywhere is, is better. And I'm going to explain why. Um, because I don't think that you should ever... Um, pander to one platform like you should never be loyal to just facebook um like if you were on facebook instagram twitter snapchat all these platforms right facebook goes down no big deal Mm -hmm. right Right. uh because the facebook 2.0 is coming right Mm -hmm. um you know jeff bezos even said like one day amazon is going to die right and uh you know, aside from just having that humbling moment to actually like say that about this company you built up to be the number one thing in the world, um, it's also a reality, right? Um, I, I've, I've heard a lot of differing opinions on this, um, mm-hmm. you know, of sticking to one platform and just dominating it as opposed to like just spreading yourself wide because you do need a big team for that, right? Um, what, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? I don't think you necessarily need a big team because there's so many scheduling tools out there and everything. Um, But I do believe that the cultures of each platform is siloing off a little bit. So for example, I, in my opinion, Twitter's becoming a little bit news dominated. Pinterest is becoming, you know, housewifey dominated. Um, Facebook, it can be, probably the most negative platform and then Instagram's pretty inspirational. So I do think that there's different cultures on each one and it does take a lot more time to mend your messaging for each platform and be relevant on each platform. Um, I'm actually doing a little experiment this month for 30 days. I'm funneling all my followers to Instagram. So when you go to my Facebook business page, it says, thanks for stopping by, but we've moved. Check us out over here. So okay. I'm just doing this for 30 days. I'm on every platform except Snapchat. Um, right. But I'm doing this little... Why, why aren't you on Snapchat? Just curious. Just never quite understood it. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm old or <laughs> too old for Snapchat. How old are you, um, by the way? I'm 44. 44. Geez, you look like you're in your 20s. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I get that a lot. Yeah. But um, yes, I just never got into Snapchat. And I didn't, like like we said earlier, I didn't feel my market was there either. And I didn't yeah. enjoy the interface. I, mm-hmm. I hopped on there a few times, but I didn't enjoy the interface. So I think with my clients, I, I don't want them to be just on one place, but I do think that like even podcasting is kind of a social media platform. hundred percent. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you have Instagram podcasting, 
an email, you you don't, if you don't want to be anywhere, what I don't want is a client being, I, oh, I hate Twitter. Cause some of my clients hate Twitter. I don't want yeah. them to have that energy and being on Twitter if they hate yeah. Twitter. So the, th- the thing about social media and like various platforms is that um, I think, I think the, I guess, mindset or perspective on these platforms is that, uh, you know, like I feel a certain way about Twitter, for example. So I am not going to play Twitter's game. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, what if everything you need is actually on Twitter? What if all of the attention is on Twitter right now? Right. It's not. But what if it was right? right. Um, I think people don't understand that, you know, your opinions of a certain platform are, are kind of meaningless. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, where like it, like it comes down to wherever the attention is right now it's on Instagram. Right. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if business owners say, well, like, you know, I, I just don't like Instagram. It's filled with, you know, uh, food selfies and whatever. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm not going to invest in, you know, story ads or whatnot. Um, or, you know, it's just, it's filled with teenagers or whatever. So I'm not going to go there. That's not where my customer is. I just think that's such a flawed mentality. Um, and have you ever experienced that with, with a client or like, have, have you ever thought that about a particular platform? Cause I, I, I know for me personally, it took me a while to get on Snapchat and it only, it only dawned on me that Snapchat was this big thing when I was at an airport um, years ago. Um, and uh, like before, before any of my friends even really knew what Snapchat was. And I was seeing uh, all of these teenage girls and they had this yellow icon on their home screen. Mm-hmm. And, I, and like, I was just kind of like watching, like, what is that? <laughs> and like, I was just kind of like observing. And then I looked on the uh, uh, Google Play Store and saw that it was in like the top, top 10. I was just mm-hmm. like, okay, like this thing kind of came out of nowhere. Um, right. But yeah, I never, I never really pandered it, pandered to it because of my, my own, I guess, feelings towards it, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I could say maybe my market's not there, but I know mm-hmm. John Lee Dumas has a similar customer to me and he's all over Snapchat. So yeah. I don't know. It's just a personal preference, I guess. If it, I a lot of it probably is that energy. If you have a, a negative energy about a platform, then you probably yeah. shouldn't be on it because that's just going to come through. Yeah. So I'm curious to know like what your, um, you know, what I guess a pain in your, uh, I guess in your upbringing was. I, I, I say, I say in my podcast, like your, your pain plus your message equals your truth. Um, and my podcast name is own the truth. So for me personally, mm-hmm. um, you know, being bullied as a child, you know, and everyone's been bullied. I get that. Uh, but for me, it just had a little more of an impact on me. Uh, that was my pain growing up. Uh, my message basically is that I being bullied made me want to help others. Um, I, I always gravitate towards kind of like the weirdos. Um, you know, if I see someone <laughs> not talking to anyone, like I immediately just jump on them because like mm-hmm. I want to make them feel, you know, included. And, um, 
not not aggressively just you know um show them that they're not the only weirdo in the room yeah um so that is my truth and i i eventually mixed that with my love of business um i love building and creating and uh for you know for me that kind of led me down the mentorship route um and so that that's why i volunteer a lot of my time to these founders and small business owners so i was curious as to uh you know your pain and your message yeah so the biggest pain that i had as a child and it's still happening almost every few months to me is uh people loved ones and pets and people and family passing away mm-hmm. so i had a yeah. lot always 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 surrounded by a lot of death and uh so it made my message like wake up get out of your job you hate um do what you really want to do don't follow the rules kind of message uh with my business coaching and other ventures that's probably the tie in there yeah yeah no that's great i uh like i'm a firm believer in the uh, hashtag one life um <laughs> i i i think like you know we talked a lot about how like we we overcomplicate things and things are actually just really simple in life right um, it like people stress over little things and like you know you only get one shot Right. It sounds cliché. It is so you know, cliché. Like, so many people say it, but um not a lot of people actually live it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, even my ex-husband, I mean, he's been in a job he hates for 20 years. He drives an hour in traffic both ways every mm-hmm. day. He hates his entire existence. Right. And he it's 20 years. He doesn't get out of it. <laughs> So yeah. see, that, that's interesting because people hate doing what they do but they stick through it. You yeah. know, like what it's I actually had a conversation with a colleague of mine the other day about uh you know I posted something very controversial on LinkedIn about about exactly that like why do you stay at jobs you hate? Like why do you why do you do things that you hate? Right? It makes him physically um, ill and he still stays there yeah. year after year after year. It's mm-hmm. I it's literally insane. I think like I don't I can't even fathom that. Yeah. <laughs> I can't yeah. even go on Snapchat if I don't want to. <laughs> He's gone to his crappy job for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like it's just it's 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 just overly simple to me. I I I don't I don't think uh you know you can be, you know, just as happy um you know making $30,000 a year as opposed to making that 70k and being completely miserable, you know? Yeah. Um I don't know, it's just it's tough for me to wrap my head around, but at the same time I have a lot of empathy for these people. Um this person on LinkedIn who uh kind of called me out a bit um the issue was you know well a lot of people you know um they have like you know responsibilities they have you know they have kids um you know they have to pay their bills um and uh, a lot of people don't have time to you know say oh what's my passion like what do i really want in life um 
it's tough because you just you fall into routine, right? Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about yourself. You're thinking about you know your kids or uh, this massive debt looming over your head. Um, and I always I always think about my uh, my my girlfriend's dad. Um, he didn't become like basically for the first forty years of his life. Um, he like wasn't making money. Like he wasn't really doing what he wanted to do. At forty. He, uh, he went to law school and became a lawyer. Um, and he's been doing that for the past like 38 years now and like fell in love with music. And he kind of does that on the side. Like it's, it's never too late. Like, yeah, I yeah. don't think it's ever too late, um, at, at all. But yeah. on the other hand, um, he, him or, Uh, other people could just get another job they don't have to be entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of pressure out there nowadays to be your own boss and be an entrepreneur but you could be very very happy and I I have even clients that said you know entrepreneurship's not for me I'm glad I tried it but I really like the corporate structure that's really unique that you have clients saying entrepreneurship is not for me like there there is a lot of pressure you're right um Mm-hmm. because of you know all the hashtags and standing in front of the fancy car and the girls and the cash and all that stuff I think a lot of younger people fall into that trap um, of thinking oh well you know I'm 18 like what am I doing with my life right or right. I'm 30 what like what, what have I done right right um, and I, I like I always say there's 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 a huge gap between being number one and number two in a company mm-hmm. right and like, like if you have the self enough self-awareness to say like entrepreneurship is not for me, like that just demonstrates a huge, like a, a, an enormous maturity. Right. Because a lot of people don't understand how actually like horrible it is to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> like, it's not that glamorous, right? Right. No, it's not. Like, there, there's a huge <laughs> gap between saying you're an entrepreneur and having your own business and actually being good and having a successful business. Right. Yeah. Well, a lot of entrepreneurs are miserable and it doesn't mm-hmm. show on their Instagram, but they're a lot yeah. of them are miserable. And, uh, I, th- the biggest, I think there is a big pressure though, to, to be an entrepreneur these days. And some people just, it's, it's just not for them. And I'm glad my clients could, they tried it at least like I'm proud yeah. of them because they tried and there's yeah. so many out, out there that, that don't even try. And you really just need to carve out like an hour a day to start yeah. something and, yeah. you know, stop watching the voice. And Oh, <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Erica. Like they're like for everyone, like no matter how productive you think you are, everyone's got an hour in their day where they're doing dumb shit. Right. <laughs> Whether it's like, you know, and it doesn't have to be like a full hour. It could be spread out across the day, like five minutes here, 20 minutes there, 10 minutes there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, you've always got time, whether, you know, like if you're miserable in the job that you're, you know, working at right now, there is time when you get home, you know, like you say hi to the kids, you say, honey, like I like, just give me an hour and right. you, know, you go to work. Right. right. I would, I would take calls on my lunch hour from corporate. I had yeah. a client call almost every day at lunch and mm-hmm. I ate, I ate at my desk and I went in my car and called my client <laughs> at lunchtime. So right. 
there's always time and your commuting time. You can use your hands-free phone and commute and talk to a, a prospective client. Uh, yeah. You can talk to a vendor. You can do all kinds of things. Um, before, before I started uh, my, my business, it's an importing business. Um, the reason why I got into it actually was because uh, back in September, um, I, I decided to sell a whole bunch of stuff that I owned. Um, I was just curious, you know, I, we, uh, me, me and my family, uh, I live with my parents, we downsized and suddenly my room got a lot smaller. Mm -hmm. So less space, but still the same stuff. So I had to get rid of some stuff. So I'm like, okay, let me put in some work and sell some stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, in September, I made $800 and October, I think I was at 950. So that kind of just like got me working. And I was like, well, if I can do this with my stuff, I'm pretty sure I can do this with just about anything. Mm -hmm. um, started going to thrift stores and stuff, um, looking up things on eBay, seeing, <laughs> seeing what kind of deal I can get. Um, I, it's funny. I actually went to a shopper's drug mart and they had, you know, you know, the TY plushies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they were selling uh, like whole sets of them and it was some crazy deal, like uh, two for six, uh, sorry, two for $6. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just did a quick eBay search, found that like each of them was going for 12 and I just, I bought a set just to see like what would happen. Someone bought it in like a week. Uh huh. Yeah, it was, it, it was pretty crazy. Um, yeah. So that's really similar to what yeah. we did with the Clutterbug store. Um, yeah. selling our clients junk so they could yeah. fund their and I did that myself too to downsize from being mm. a suburban married couple um yeah. I sold everything uh and moved by the beach in Newport Beach for a while and and very minimalist uh, existence yeah. and now everything fits in my uh jeep so that's all oh. I have is what fits wow. in my jeep. yeah especially for being an entrepreneur I find that living a minimalist life is the best thing that you can do for yourself and for mm -hmm. your business. Like yeah. a lot of people live in houses, you know, with like six extra rooms that they don't need. Um, they drive the car that is like way too expensive for them, but they're trying to impress somebody. Mm -hmm. um, like I pride myself on like not needing a lot of things. Um, and I don't even need that much to, to live really right, right. like the money, the money I make right now is frank I was I was actually talking to my girlfriend the other night like I make too much money <laughs> I, I don't need to make that much money uh right now I'm sitting at like 60,000 a year mm -hmm. and frankly it's like it's too much for me like I like I like I have so much that I put into savings right, right. Uh, and that's just me being an expense ninja. I'm always looking at my, my, my finances and seeing where mm -hmm. I can cut. Um, very, uh, uh, very spot on with stuff like that. Um, I, I don't think a lot of people these days deploy that humility to kind of, you know, downgrade their lifestyle, you know, right. um, like for, for, for reasons why they stay at that job they hate, they're trying to sustain that lifestyle. Right, right. Big house, the fancy car. Um, there's just there's the there's a ton of there's a ton of humility. You know, for example, w like with you going from the Range Rover to a Jeep, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Not a lot of people can like wrap their heads around that. Well, I had even people when I, cause I just bought the Jeep and I had mm. people like kind of give me the impression that they thought I should have a, you know, fancy Mercedes or AMG or something. And I'm like, yeah. well, I don't, I don't, I don't want that. Like yeah. I, the Jeep is quite fancy. Um, it's got all the upgrades in it, but I, I need to get to the next Airbnb and I need a very strong safe car and I need room for the two dogs take with their car seats and I'll take up the whole back seat. So then there's just a little, (laughs) so yeah, I wanted what I wanted. I didn't want a Mercedes so I could put it on Instagram and be like, Oh, I got a Mercedes. Yeah. I just yeah. wanted what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. At the, end, at the end of the day, it's about what makes you happy, right? Like yeah. a Mercedes doesn't make you happy. But just people's um, opinions or ideals of what I mm-hmm. should have got um, was kind of yeah. weird to me. Um, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's actually, it's, it's funny you say you bring that up, like people's perceptions of what entrepreneurship looks like, because I find that the number a million, right? That that's like, that's a number that is, that just resonates with a lot of people in the entrepreneurship realm. Uh, for them, a million is like the gateway into entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you don't make a million tomorrow after starting your business, like you're just like, you know, you haven't made it till you hit a million, but um, there's a lack of contextualization there because like it, like in the States, for example, uh, the 1% doesn't even start until you hit about like 450,000, right? Like right. it's not a million. Right. <laughs> like right. you hit a million, like you're doing very well. Right. Um, so there, there's, there's this image around entrepreneurship of, you know, just like glitz and glamour. And it's just not like that at all. No, not it. I I don't think it is at all. Um, it's it's always been more about the freedom than the right. the yeah. money. Um, but be, I always tell clients too, because they get so full of busy work. Like pretend that you're completely retired. Your retirement pension's coming in every single month. What would you do? Because yeah. you're not. Yeah, you can lay on the beach and have margaritas for about six months and then it gets kind of boring. So what would you do yeah. then? And then what, what's next? What's next? What's next? So yeah. if you had the money coming in, you knew it was going to come in. Now what? Then you know what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, is there anything, you know, is there, is there any like, you know, key advice that you give to your clients? Um, you know, or even like your audience or my audience, is there any like one thing <laughs> before, uh, you know, cause I, I think we're reaching the one hour mark. Okay. Uh, yeah. Something that, that was, uh, revealed to me to be a very, very necessary and powerful trait of mm-hmm. success in entrepreneurship is ha- making decisions at the speed of light and getting yeah. on with it because I'm, I'm hate to keep bringing up my poor ex-husband, but he cannot make a decision to save his life. Like he could not like decide where to go to dinner. So I'm, yeah. I'm, and he always has that American dream to one day be an entrepreneur. And 
I'm like looking at his decision-making skills. I'm like, I don't think you can, I don't think you're going to make it. And that's the one thing. That's why if you're on a sales call with someone and they're kind of shifting around and not really making a decision if they want to work together or not, you're like, yeah, get, you're not the right client for me. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that speed is like a thousand times better than getting it perfect? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Totally. Cause it's, it's not going to be perfect anyway. So why yeah. waste all that time trying to make it perfect? Like, yeah, yeah. Get it out there and, <laughs> and then tweak from there and you're going to get new things revealed to you as you're, as you're doing it, not sitting around thinking about it. So exactly. Um, you said it better. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Erica, for, uh, for coming to speak with me today. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is so fun. It was so relaxed and uh, yeah. got some different questions out that I don't normally get asked. So that's always fun. Awesome. Awesome. I'm always yeah. looking to do things a little different. <laughs> so you have yourself a fantastic day. Thank you. You too. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. podcast i hope that you got a ton of value from that interview i know i did it was pretty nerve-wracking at first but now that i'm past it i'm super pumped for the next one what i want to focus on here are the things that i think are positives of the interview these positives are going to be something i want to observe over time as i conduct more and more interviews really what i wanted to determine is patterns of behavior just to improve myself, you know? 
The first thing that I noticed was how comfortable right off the bat Erica was with me. She already is quite an open and genuine person and it just seemed like my calming approach to our interview made our personalities mesh really well. The second thing I noticed was that I used the intro she provided me as sort of a talking point and I asked her to elaborate on it. I did this so not only I could learn about her but also so listeners could too. I think next time I'll spend more time on deconstructing people's intros. The third thing I did, which I loved, was that I explained what the origin story was and told a brief synopsis of my own. Over time, I really want to have this known like the back of my hand. It's one thing to release a six-part origin story and to explain it to other people, but it's really another thing to almost reiterate it like an elevator pitch. That only comes from telling the story so many times, which I haven't done enough in my life. The fourth thing that I did was that I let Erica speak when it was her turn. Some interviewers talk over their interviewees and that's fine, but I know that most people appreciate being heard in the literal sense of a you know, turn-based speaking experience, and that's what I've given to the listeners and Erica. It's really just who I am, and very rarely do I interrupt people unless I really get fired up about something. There were times, however, that during the interview, um, I did interrupt her, but it was just to clarify something or ask a question before the moment was gone. And the last thing that I really noticed was that I added and complimented her narrative. Much of what she was saying I was actually able to understand and hence provide additional value to the conversation and in some instances go down a different avenue completely. So that's it for me. Let me know what you thought. What did you think I did well? What did you think I can work on in the future? I'd love to know your feedback. Have a wonderful day.